30 plus years, I've seen every type of child grow up. Instead of giving me what I wanted, she gave me what I needed, which was truth. Don't let emotions win. Let truth win. Do your very best, and you should have a lot of fun while you do it. And the better you get at something, the more fun you're going to have at something. You moms and dads are wired with everything you need to be a parent to a great kid. Welcome to Parenting Great Kids. This is episode number 130, and I'm your host, Dr. Meg Meeker. Today, my guest is author Abigail Schreier. Abigail's a frequent contributor to the Wall Street Journal and the author of Irreversible Damage, the Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters. She holds an AB from Columbia College, where she received the Eureta J. Collette Fellowship, a Bachelor in Philosophy from the University of Oxford, and a JD from Yale Law School. The topic we're going to be talking about today is a highly sensitive, volatile topic. And I want to be clear at the beginning of our podcast, this is not a podcast about being transgender phobic. It is not a podcast about hating transgender. It is a podcast about transgender changes in children. As always, I'll share my points to ponder for you to start using right away. And remember, don't just download this episodes, click that subscribe button because I need you to join my parenting revolution because we do many podcasts that are counti-culture. You will not hear guests that I have on this podcast and opinions and controversial subjects like you hear on any other podcast but Parenting Great Kids. I'd love for you to write us a review on iTunes and let us know what you think. The PGK podcast is also available in the Google Play Store and on Stitcher. Parents, do your kids ever act disrespectfully? They argue with you or they backtalk? You need to sign up for my brand new free webinar, When No Stops Working. We'll talk about these issues and many others as I discuss my brand new course, Simple Discipline That Works. Go to my website and click on the webinar button on the front page. So parents, thanks for listening. This is episode number 130. Stay with us. I want you now to listen in on a conversation I had with Abigail Schreier. I know you're really going to enjoy this. My guest is Abigail Schreier. The book is Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters. Abigail, thanks for being on my podcast. Thanks so much for having me on. Great to be here. What's the classic length of time a child feels like they want to be the opposite gender before their parents take note? Or do they take note right away? And how long do they have to have that sense? Okay, I'm a 12-year-old girl. I feel like I want to be a boy. It's been going on for two months. It's been going on for two years. So are you talking about traditional gender dysphoria no, that no, you I'm, saw in I'm, children? You're talking I'm, about yeah. the, you know, what they call a rapid onset exactly. phenomenon rapid I'm onset. talking about. Okay. Correct. Correct. So these, these girls who suddenly discover in, 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 in adolescence, it varies. Um, so, uh, you know, it, the, it, it actually happens, but in general, it happens very fast and parents can't believe how fast. 
And the reason it, it happens so fast is, first of all, the whole friend group will decide within a very short time that they're all trans together. They'll join mm-hmm. a gay straight alliance club at school. They'll get tons of encouragement from their teachers. And within a matter of months, a kid who was toying with this identity has shaved her head or gotten a really short haircut. Every time they, she goes to the hairdresser, the haircuts get shorter. She starts wearing a tight sports bra and then she wants a binder and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And, and the kids are able to encourage. It's like anorexia. They're making it more severe. This discomfort in their body becomes really severe really fast. And then they go online. They indoctrinate with these videos that tell them, yes, you're, you're definitely gender nonconforming. You're definitely non-binary. Oh, wait, maybe I'm trans. Um, and it really becomes, you know, something that's very hard for them to get out of once they start identifying that way. They're, they're friends. You know, they'll be ostracized. Um, yeah. So you don't want to say you're trans and then change your mind. That That's a very bad thing to do socially. But declaring one of these new identities is a great way to gain popularity. Mm-hmm. So right now, um, it's overwhelmingly girls, not boys. Um, and what's the classic age? Would you say it's 10 to 12? Would you say it's 12 to 15? Puberty. So puberty. when these girls hit puberty, we're seeing it earlier and earlier. Kids are, are experimenting with this. First of all, we're seeing puberty earlier and earlier. But the other thing is, um, you know, the schools have been pushing gender ideology so hard. So and that's, you know, certainly one of the areas of the book that I'm, I'm in some sense proudest of because it was such a shock to me when I went into the public school system and found out what they were teaching, um, which which they do actually a phenomenal job of hiding from parents. But in any event, um, you, you're, they're pushed this gender ideology so hard throughout from kindergarten on, certainly in California and other places, so that the moment they have a moment of discomfort in their body when they hit adolescence, they're, maybe they're, their friends don't like them, they're having trouble making friends, they feel uncomfortable in their bodies, they just got their periods, the, they, they hate their bodies, they don't know why they don't look like the glamorized you know, images they see online. So then the, the solution readily leaps to mind because they've been hearing about this for years. Oh, this must be gender dysphoria. I'm supposed to be a boy. Talk about what's going on psychologically in these kids. What, what's the difference between the kids who don't go down this path, who feel they're a girl and they feel like a boy and they feel like a tomboy, and the girls who do go down the path? Is there a big difference psychologically between the two groups? Well, there are no tomboys today. No one's allowed to just be a girl without a designation. Everyone has a label. That's the most important thing everyone needs today is because of social media. We mm-hmm. feel that our label, we must have a label. So right away, they come up with a label. There is no, you know, I used to be a tomboy, and very rarely did anyone even remark on it. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes maybe when I was playing sports or whatever, someone would, but it, it was extremely rare. Now your label, you go on social media, you identify with it, it is the most important thing. And these labels become so become everything that they are to these young girls. And so they decide very early that this is their label. Um, what they actually have is very high rates of anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. That we know, but that, that often doesn't get treated because the moment they say they're transgender, all the focus is on the gender uh, dysphoria and whether they have it and what the next step in transition is. Mm-hmm. What I've seen is a lot of kids, just like you're talking about with anxiety and depression, they feel lost. They don't know who they are. They're sort of struggling for their identity. Um, they want to fit somewhere and they, they latch onto this and transgender is offered to them as the solution. That's you know, right. if you just do this, if you just transition your gender, you're not going to be depressed. You're not going to be anxious. You're going to figure out who you are and life will be amazing. Don't you think that's the promise of the transgender movement who are, 
I don't want to say indoctrinating kids in, but in a way they are. I mean, if any child who goes to a medical clinic and says, I think I'm transgender, you know, they get a three hour interview and the person says, yep, you are. Let's start giving you testosterone. Um, But don't you think that's at work there as well? That this is the answer to all of your problems. Sure. I'm, I, I think that's right. It, that Sure that, you know, it is presented as the answers with all, all their problems. Now, some of that is right because their major problem is anxiety and testosterone suppresses anxiety. Mm-hmm. So these girls are basically self-medicating. They don't know it. They start testosterone. They feel great. And they think it was because they really had gender dysphoria. But what it does is it controls, it, it controls anxiety. It makes them bolder. It redistributes fat. So they don't feel as bad in their bodies that are that are changing so rapidly, and you know it it um, it suppresses their period. So all the things they're struggling with go away. Mm-hmm. So you know these aren't these are young teens. They're not thinking about the long term risks. They can barely evaluate the long term risks. All they know is that right now, yesterday I felt so much. I felt so panicky and afraid, and today I feel great because of my testosterone. So they can't wait to do the next thing. You know, I think it's remarkable absolutely remarkable that uh, adults around these kids will say, you know, your 12-year-old doesn't even know what classes they want to take. They don't know who their friends should be. They don't know what sports they want to do. They don't even know what they want for dinner. And yet, they have the say to transition, transition their gender. When did we as parents and teachers and adults get to the point where a child's emotions and feelings drove uh, everything that kid did. And that if they felt a certain way, we had to jump in and affirm and affirm. When did that begin to happen? So it happened in the last decade, but one of the, you know, specifically with this phenomenon, you know, certainly with the affirmation and and all the um, medical organizations insisting on affirmation and adopting that standard. But, but, but there's something deeper that I think you're asking about, which is, why did parents stop trusting themselves? They started completely relying on experts, anything an expert says. And I think that's been a longer process of just completely, even their own, all of their own intuitions, they no longer trust. They, they are reading the number, the profusion of hand, you know, guides to parenting that you're handed when you're a new parent is mm. overwhelming. And the first lesson you get as a parent is whatever you think you know is probably wrong. You have to read these 12 books. Right. It's it's really intimidating, and parents are really, unfortunately, really being pushed around by a bunch of experts who really are just, a lot of them are just activists. Yeah. They're not dealing honestly in science. They have their own agenda. But, you know, parents in good faith, unfortunately, are relying on them. They assume everybody's the expert. If the, if the person speaks with clarity and, um, you know, a certain amount of authority and aggression, then parents will um, start believing them. I see, you know, parents just don't want to listen to their instincts. They are are so easily swayed by their kids. And it's not just with a gender thing, but, you know, with everything, they're just afraid. And I think that sort of marks this generation of parents. Um, Absolutely. When I raised our kids, I wasn't that afraid. If I just kind of knew what was good and right, and we didn't, and we said no a lot. And it's almost like parents don't want to say no to their kids. Talk to me about teachers. How did it seems to me there's a higher percentage of teachers that are much more on board with this than there is a percentage of parents. Because most parents I talk to go, you know, I, I don't understand it. I don't think it's right. 
but that's right because teachers are one of the things i learned about the california public school system in particular and i think it's very true across the country is that there was no there was no division between teachers and the activists who were coming in to train them on issues like lgbtq so teachers were being fed this incredibly first of all unscientific baseless but they were being told this is how you will save children's lives you can't trust the parents don't tell them we're going to keep it from them if the parents do not have a right to know and we're going to teach you know if if their kid decides they're transgender we're going to present all these options to children look a lot of these teachers don't have children themselves mm-hmm. um, and they certainly are completely relying on the activists who are supplying curricula they're supplying the books i mean it's you know in a, in a class in which you will learn literally about you know they they will present i don't know sexual you know sexually transmitted disease they will also present you you may be a boy trapped in a girl's body i mean just such complete right. non gibberish yeah. and 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 it doesn't seem to abash these teachers because they are caught in this fervor of i'm saving lives they're going to kill themselves otherwise now these are highly manipulated manipulated and inaccurate statistics but they don't know that mm-hmm. um so they're passing it on well, it's really very much like we see with kids and sexual activity too. I mean, they're 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 coerced in it, they're affirmed in it, you know, no matter how how old they are, who they are. Let's talk about the medical community. Um, and you have a chapter on the shrinks and talk about the quote unquote professionals out there, the medical community, and and how they respond to this and why they respond the way they do. You know, it's a very aggressive push to immediately, immediately affirm. They agree with the child. The, if an adolescent comes in and says, I'm not a girl, I'm a boy, call me Jim. They will immediately say, okay, Jim, you're a boy and continue to, and just proceed from there. This is how, you know, the, all the major professional medical professional organizations have adopted what is known as affirmative care. Now therapists specifically, we also have um, conversion therapy bands in I think 19 states at this point, which means that therapists who don't go along with this may be guilty of converting someone out of being trans. That's the threat. So even though that was for decades the way we treated gender dysphoria today, good therapists in good faith are afraid to do that. And what I'm seeing, and I hear this from medical professionals all across the country, in fact, worldwide, because we see this phenomenon across the West, is that the good ones refer out the, 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 the medical professionals and therapists with the best integrity, very often, if a, someone comes to them and wants to transition, they just refer you to someone else. So very often, the majority of people who are willing to treat these kids and willing to take up their, you know, are the activists because they are the ones who are on board with this agenda. Mm-hmm. Most of the good people, they don't want to get, you know, called a bigot. Right. So, well, you know, there yeah. are some exceptions, but that's the bulk. Sorry. Yeah, that's okay. They don't want to. Yeah, they don't want to be called the bigot. They don't want to be the 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 um the person that is going against the grain of everything, and they stay quiet. Um, the other issue with physicians too is time. In order to deal with a teenager, just a regular old healthy teenager takes a lot of time because you talk. But then you bring in an issue like this transgender. It takes a lot of time because I have a number of these kids to talk to them and to dig and to try to um, say, you know, let's, let's look what's underneath this. Are you depressed? Anxiety? Tell me about your family situation. And what I see inevitably is a chaotic family. Now, not always, but it's chaotic. But 
So I think there are a number of reasons doctors sort of just want to pass the buck on this. Um, but it's astonishing to me that there is many transgender transitioning clinics, medical clinics, as there are in yeah. the country. Can you tell us what happens to the classic 13-year-old girl who says, for six months a year, I felt like I want to be a boy. Mom, take me to this uh, clinic. What happens to her at the clinic then? Well, remember that the age of medical consent varies by state. So in Oregon, it is 15. In Washington state, she'll be entitled to medical um, mental health care without parental approval at 13. So she can get a referral and in some cases get the testosterone immediately that day based on her own say-so without, without parental permission and very often without a therapist note. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that, you know, our attention, you brought up time and that was such an amazing point because, you know, the demands of our time, we have never had so much in interrupted time. We've become so impatient. We both want a diagnosis immediately. We want our suffering or our pain alleviated immediately. Um, And we're not taking, doctors aren't taking the time. And, and, you know, generally we're not taking the time to handle this. So as a result, you know, Planned Parenthood, in my view, you know, uh, obviously the abortion issue is a major, you know, battleground in, in America. And everyone talks about Planned Parenthood and abortion, but somehow no one talks about the other thing they're doing right now, now that far fewer women or young women are getting abortions today. The rates of sex are lower. The rates of abortion are lower. But you know what they're really up for is testosterone. Girls go into a Planned Parenthood clinic across, across the country and walk out that day with a course of testosterone. 18-year-old girls, this is a Schedule three controlled substance. And that no one talks about. And no one talks, if you can involve the parents, no one talks to the parents about what's really happening to your kid's body. That, you know, you're, you're rendering your kid infertile. Um, you're, you're changing the course of their lives. You're, you're deciding for them at 14 or 15 that they never really will have any children. You're disrupting any kind of marital relationship. Um, but nobody, and the kids can't process that because they can't think, oh, today I'm going to do this. And in three years, this will happen. Cognitively, they're, they're just not there. What are some things that you feel parents absolutely have to know about what happens to a child's body once you begin this process? Sure. So testosterone thickens the blood. It really raises, I mean, it depends if you're talking about puberty blockers and then testosterone. The thing to know about puberty blockers, which which is administered in the very earliest stages of puberty, um, what, what we would think of as almost before puberty because, because you don't see most of the changes, but the very earliest stages are puberty blockers. If a child that is a first step. They're only because of the risk of osteoporosis and all kinds of other um, bone problems. They don't, they don't stay on that usually for more than two years. And then they're, then the next step, and remember their puberty has been arrested. So they no longer look at like their peers and they no longer think of themselves as a girl. If they go from that to cross sex hormones, which is testosterone, which is what's next, they will be infertile. Um, but there are also a lot of other problems with, with this. Um, testosterone itself raises the rate of uh, the, the risk of heart attack enormously, um, well above what men have, what women have, or even what, or even double what men have. Um, we know that, um, it, it leads to vaginal atrophy, uterine cramping, uterine atrophy. So that very often because of the risk of endometrial cancer, 
um, that also comes with it. Um, a hysterectomy, a prophylactic hysterectomy will be recommended after they've been on it for five years. This is not, a, and you, addition to all the cosmetic changes, voice change, uh, masculinization of features and hair, that, that may not go away. Very often it does not. A girl will have a five o'clock shadow for the rest of her life. This is not the sort of thing we want to play with. And yet, and yet girls walk out the same day with a prescription. Parents, I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Abigail Schreier. We need to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more of this conversation. Just back up a second. Why are parents so easily going along with this? Because my understanding is, and you correct me, the majority of parents in the country do not believe this is okay. They know it's not safe. They don't want their kids to go through it, but they go, okay. So why are parents going along with it? Is it just a fear? They don't want to look like the bad parent or the... Politic, unpolitically correct parent? Well, a few things. One, many parents are not going along with it, but they are getting completely undermined. The school keeps this from you. If your child identifies as transgender, a kid can go a whole year before the parents are ever notified. Mm-hmm. You know, that's very. I've talked to parents where the kid was changing clothes in the bathroom. They had no idea and the school kept it from them. So there's that. But, but for a moment, why are parents going along with this initially? You know, I've given this a lot of thought because the overwhelmingly the parents who call me who are so upset are politically progressive. And a lot of people try to, you know, I've been asked many times, why do you think it's mostly political progressives? And I try to answer in terms of, you know, open-mindedness to it, and that tends to encourage the children and solidify it in their mind and whatnot. But the truth is, I think the reason, these are wonderful people. They, they, have, they are offering their daughters wonderful families. These are some of the most caring parents I've ever talked to. And I would just say, that I think the reason that it's hitting them so hard, political progressives, is because conservatives had a, a big head start. We've had at least 20 years of knowing not to trust the culture. Mm-hmm. We knew the culture was against us. But for political progressives, this is just an awakening for them. They didn't know. So when, when, it, when they went to a doctor or a therapist, they really in good faith trusted them that this was the best thing to do. Agree with your daughter. I want to be compassionate. I'm pro-LGBTQ rights. I should agree with her because that's the better, more progressive thing to do. They didn't know that that, that the culture was so against them. You know, it's, it's really, it's extraordinary. Talk about the fallout. Let's take that 13-year-old girl who just was started on um, puberty blockers, testosterone, and she goes through the full transition. What is she going to be like or feel like when she's 25? So the reason I wrote the book is because these stories do not have a happy ending. If these girls were thriving, they were staying in school, they still maintained relationships with their parents, they were starting out, you know, they had romantic partners, boyfriends, girlfriends, whatever. Um, I wouldn't have written the book because, you know, they're not living, you know, a typical lifestyle, but it seems to, in some sense, be working. But that's not the story at all. This is a story, and what, what, what happens so often for these girls is, first of all, because they don't have typical gender dysphoria, transition does not cure them. They are left with the same anxiety, the same depression they had before. Their depression comes back. They, they are chasing an aesthetic goal they never achieve because they never look quite like a man. And they, of course, are always doing different things to their body, so they're not pursuing romantic relationships or in, you know, healthy relationships because their own body is a constant work in progress. Um, So 
I would say the the end is very dark. They drop out of school. Sometimes they they're you know sub, they they have subsistence wages. Their entire life is about is about being trans. They don't have any friends who aren't trans. They 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 really cocoon themselves in a in a sort of unhappy life. So, is there medical data to support that? Because what you'll hear from the other side, the progressives, is, oh, that's just not true. I mean, you know, um, research shows that these these kids grow into be very happy adults and very functional, but that really isn't true. So, can you give parents some something to sink their teeth? In? Sure. What they need to know is, number one, there is no long-term research on this population. We've never seen it before. We have no extant scientific literature before, I think, 2018 um, on adolescent girls who suddenly become transgender. Before Lisa Littman came out with her, her study, it was the first major study that looked at this population of teenage girls. We've never seen it before. It's like multiple personality disorder. It sort of came out of nowhere, um, and it spread like wildfire. So. Um, there just isn't long-term on this population. Now, if you look at other populations who did have gender dysphoria, who did medically transition, it's a different story. So some of them were helped by, may have been helped by medical transition. Others, the, the psychiatric outcomes were not, you know, there were high rates of suicide and whatnot. But it's a completely different story and a completely different population. Just because they're both claiming gender dysphoria, I mean, it, it's, you know, it doesn't mean they're the same people. No, I mean, everybody means something different by gender dysphoria, these kids. Are you talking about the work that came out of Johns Hopkins? I'm trying to remember the doctor's name. Oh, because money. That's, yeah, sorry, that's, money, money, sorry. Money. Yeah, because that's pretty compelling evidence. Um, and he has been studying it for a long time. But my understanding is yeah. the people he's been studying are, how do I say this, more legitimately transgender than, than the than the kids who are sort of following a popular trend here. And my understanding is the outcomes that he found were really pretty disturbing, that there was high rates of depression and suicide. Um, is that your understanding? So, so there are a few, uh, there aren't many, but there are a few long-term studies. And, and you're right that the, the, the mental health outcomes have not been great for transgender populations in general. Certainly there are high rates of suicide that are very concerning. Um, but of course, that's a totally different population. These that you're talking about a population that suffered traditional dysphoria from the time they were young. They were overwhelmingly male, and they transition transitioned as adults. They weren't copycat teenage girls learning about this on the internet and deciding with their friends that this was the source of their problem and sneaking away to get testosterone. So, how can we help girls? Um, not fall into this? What can parents of the 10-year-old or the 11-year-old or the 12-year-old going, oh my gosh, what, what am I going to do if my daughter comes home and says, it? What, what are some of the things that we can do in our families other than saying, don't do that? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot I talk about in the book about what to do because that's really important. A few things. So it depends how old the child is. You know, um, if they haven't been on social media, we should absolutely oppose their, their using social media. Social media other psychologists, Gene Twangy, famously, um, jo Jonathan Haidt, they have tr they have been able to pinpoint the 
alarming, really disturbing spike in anxiety and depression among our teenage girls straight mm -hmm. to social media and their use of these girls are tormenting themselves with the parties they're not invited to, the the images that look so much more perfect than, than they think they could ever achieve, the women who look gorgeous and are torn apart on social media. This is affecting our teenage girls so profoundly. And it's really, it's making them feel sad and alone. It's not doing them any good. Um, so that that is one thing. Another thing is that parents must oppose all gender ideology in the schools. There is no reason schools cannot teach, cannot insist that children show compassion and, and, and stop bullying of transgender children and any children, in fact, without completely sowing gender confusion in an entire population. It's just completely unnecessary. Um, and, and the third thing I would say is, you know, you don't have to agree with everything your adolescent says. Very often the thing to know about these girls is they're isolated, they're lonely, they're online all the time. They don't actually know themselves that well. They've never had a first kiss. They've never held anybody's hand. So when they come to you at 11 and announce they're pansexual, you don't have to treat them like they're right. It sounds so obvious and yet parents are so resistant to follow their instincts and to do what's obviously right. I mean, they really have thrown any wisdom they have out the window. And that's what I mean. They're driven by their kids' emotions and feelings. So other than that, are there emotional needs that kids have that parents can do to help keep them away from being so easily influenced if they are in social media? Because I totally agree with you. One of the things I beg parents all the time. Keep the internet out of your kid's hand. And they won't because their friends are giving their kids phones. But emotionally, what can parents do for their kids to help keep them a little more resilient? First of all, parents have to get their own anxiety under control. So they have to give their kids freedom. They have to give them freedom to go out and do things in the world. Now that's not freedom online. Online is the worst place they can be but outdoors with their girlfriends, with their friends. Yeah, they may get hurt. And yeah, they may experiment with various kinds of ways, but all of that is, you know, and they might get their hearts broken, but all of that is so much healthier than sitting around online and getting the influence and the attention of adults that you wouldn't even want in your home. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because they really are very much, they're, they're in their heads all day these yeah. kids. And that means that anything coming into their head is shaping their identity. It's shaping their feelings. It's shaping their, their perception of the world and the, of the, themselves. And because they're kids, it gets so distorted and twisted so very quickly. You know, we also need to just stop diagnosing them so much. And I don't mean ignore a problem, a serious problem. Okay. I'm not saying that. But we are so fast to give them a diagnosis, to give them a label, to march into school and say, she needs this accommodation. She can't sit next to this child because he makes her uncomfortable. She can't, you know, just give them space to be because the problem is these kids are going around with these diagnoses and, and, and they're, then they're applying them to themselves. And it is so limiting and we're completely destroying the possibility of resilience for them. We have um, 
become so afraid of risk, any kind of risk for our kids to be hurt, for our kids to be mad, for our kids to be upset because we're sitting next to the wrong person. And the, and the t- reality is we all have to take risks in order to, you know, strengthen ourselves and to get, and get stronger. Parents are so afraid to go in and challenge teachers and authority. What do you tell them to do? Just go in there and be bold and be brash and say, no, you're not going to teach my kid this? I think they need to, they have to do one of a few things, but they have to find out what's going on in the classroom. And I would just say to parents, you know better. I promise you do, because I've interviewed so many parents and I've also interviewed a lot of teachers. Mm-hmm. And when I tell you, you have way more sense. I mean, you're the person, you know how much you put in to raise this child, but I will talk to teachers who will tell me that home is not a safe place, that they know that home is not a safe place for, now they, these are teachers who don't know what it takes to raise a child. Mm -hmm. They don't know how many nights you spent, you know, taking care of them, how many sleepless nights you have spent worrying about them. They don't know any of that, Mm -hmm. but they are, but they have a policy on LGBTQ and they think that means that they, they know better than you do about their, your own kid. So just, I would just say, you know, in some cases, the teachers are are pursuing a a course set for them by activists that are so wrong, that are so harmful. And parents, you know, right or wrong, you're going to make, obviously, we all make mistakes. I'm a parent. I make mistakes. But I will say this. I'm the only person who, you know, 100% has my kids' best interest in heart, at Mm -hmm. heart. And that's not true of anybody else. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one final question. I get this from parents a lot. My third grader comes home and she, and she is told that her, um, that her daughter, uh, that her classmate Sally now wants to be called Sam. What should I do? Yikes. Okay. So I, that is a hard one. It depends mm-hmm. who it is and what, and I'll tell you why. Because like anorexia, we know that this will spread throughout a population. That does not mean that being transgender is contagious. I'm not saying that. If there is instruction in the classroom, okay, about how you you all might be the wrong sex trapped in, you know, might, you all might be boys trapped in the body of the girls, that's not good. You'll see more kids saying, oh my gosh, that's me. Mm-hmm. You'll see a lot of epiphanies. But just having a transgender child in the classroom isn't going to do that necessarily. So I don't, you know, I certainly wouldn't say you couldn't show compassion for a transgender child or be kind to them. And I certainly don't think that that you don't want your kid to play with them or anything like that. I would never suggest that. But I would say that it, it depends how the school handles it. And if a young person who transitions is valorized by the school and they have school assemblies, the number of parents who call me who say that their daughter was listening to a school assembly when she realized, oh my gosh, that's me. And here's the problem. Nobody who's really transgender, you know, historically did it because a school assembly made them realize it. No, no, absolutely. And, you know, I I think that if you look at one transgender child in a class of 30 in the third grade, um, and everybody's dancing around the child who says she's transgender, it's so confusing to third grade kids who are learning to sort of see the world. And if they're seeing a girl and told to call her a boy, then they start to doubt their ability to perceive the world correctly. They say, well, she looks like a girl to me, but my teacher's saying she's a boy. So clearly I can't see things right. And I think that's very damaging to kids. 
Well, think about this. I mean, just put it this way. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And think about it this way. Say you have an, you know, a Hasidic kid who shows up in a class, okay? How do you mm-hmm. treat them? You treat them like a kid. Right. Now, you wouldn't have a school assembly in which they were all taught to keep kosher and, and you know, and, and to listen to the teachings of the Rebbe, the Lubavitch Rebbe. That would be yeah. absurd. Be absurd. But for some yeah. reason, right. So you don't cheat a child, and I, transgender or otherwise, in this way where they're held up as an example and a hero to the population. And if you do, you're going to see more of it. Abigail, how can people find out more about your work, more about your book? Do you have a website? I don't have a website. I'm on um, my book is sold on Amazon and you know all places that books are sold. It's uh, irreversible damage, and I'm a valiant. I'm you know I I'm on Twitter at Abigail Schreier. Mm-hmm. Awesome. My guest has been Abigail Schreier. The book is Irreversible Damage: The Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters. Every single parent with a daughter or son under the age of 18 needs to read this book because the pressure is intense, not just for the kids, but for us as parents too. So Abigail, thanks for being on my podcast. Thanks so much for having me on. Great to be here. Now on to my points to ponder. One, if your child says he or she wants a gender change, go very slowly. Many parents feel that because their kids show interest in transitioning or being the other gender than what they are, that they're obliged to do something about it. Don't. Allow your child to mature. Don't immediately tell them that they're wrong, but listen. Ask how they think their life would be better if they changed. Dig deeply with good questions. Two, Not all kids who identify with the opposite gender really want to transition. A large percent of children, particularly young children, identify with the opposite sex for a period of time because of interest, not out of a desire to transition. Many girls go through a tomboy stage where they identify with boys regarding how they dress, what their interests are, and who their friends are. Many girls do this because they feel competitive with boys. When young children show signs of identifying with the opposite sex, let them complete the stage. Do not overreact and ask them if they want to be a boy or a girl. Young kids do not have the intellectual maturity to understand the implications. Three, if your child insists on transitioning, tell him or her that they can do that when they're adults. Children and teens simply do not have the cognitive or psychological maturity to make life-changing decisions. For instance, Many kids who transition become infertile, and this is not a decision that a teen or young child is able to make. Simply support your child and tell them that their identity as a human being is more important than their identity as a male or female. Parents, you know I love answering your questions, so please keep sending them in. You can email me anything to askmeg at megmeekermd.com. Again, askmeg at megmeekermd.com. I want to thank my guest, Abigail Schreier, for joining me on the show today. To find out more about Abigail, go to Abigail Schreier. That's A-B-I-G-A-I-L-S-H. R-I-E-R.com. Be sure to follow her on social media. Just search for Abigail Schreier in your internet browser. Let's recap my points to ponder. One, if your child says he or she wants a gender change, go very slowly. Two, not all kids who identify with the opposite gender really want to transition. 
And three, if your child insists on transitioning, tell him or her that they can do that when they're adults. So until next time, parents, always remember that great kids are raised, not born. Hey, this is Bobby, producer of Meg Meeker's Parenting Great Kids podcast. Thanks for listening. And because of your dedication to raising great kids, Dr. Meg's Parenting Revolution has grown to over 3 million downloads. Head on over to Facebook and Twitter and follow at Meg Meeker MD and check out what's new at MegMeeker.com. And while you're there, sign up for the newsletter to stay updated and get information about giveaways. Don't forget to share the podcast with other parents. Subscribe so you won't miss anything. And leave us a review so we know how we're doing.